0: So, Bob, one of the anonymous patrons wants to know why your therapist is being such a jerk. I thought we'd get into that. What do you say? Okay. I don't have that opinion, but okay. (laughs) This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist, and I'm also a professor.
1: And I am a person with a
0: therapist (laughs) who's apparently a jerk and your old friend from grad school and a therapist here, too. So, anonymous patron, she writes in and says, Thank you for a great podcast in therapist warning signs. Hmm. I'm so curious about Bob's therapist, though. Hmm. I'm wondering what his deal is with being late to sessions. It sort of annoys me because it doesn't make any sense to be late. The only thing I can come up with is that Bob comes across as incredibly kind, and his therapist is just taking advantage of him. Why is Bob's therapist being such a jerk? Bob, what do you think? I think, honestly, I think if my
1: therapist were here, what he might say is, you know, he has, a, there's something about on timeness that raises up some issue for him personally. So, you know, most people aren't jerks for the sake of being a jerk. They're like, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out of my way and give you a hard time. People are, you know, we have our weirdo-nesses, weirdnesses, our idiosyncrasies. And there's something he said to me a couple of times that there's something about um, time that's hard for him. And then he recognizes that it has something to do with his own whatever inner world or whatever. But look, one thing I'd like you to keep in mind is I would, I didn't know this. I learned something really important in his being late. Because the first time I talked to him about it was, you know, probably pretty early on in our relationship. And it scared me to have to do it. Like, I, like I'm like i a, oh shit, now I have to do it. Right. But it also, I discovered it made me brittle. Like, Oh, since I brought this up and I've expressed anger at it. And now, if you don't do it, um, you know, now there's going to be a real problem, right? Or, or I'm going to have to be passive, right? So it used to scare me. But lately what, what's happened is we just talk about it and I'm not afraid. I'm not, I'm a little afraid. I'm not as afraid as I used to be um, to just talk about it with them. And so I'll talk about, i like, you know, like you've been, the late last thing i said to him was about 6 weeks ago i said to him you know you've been like a little bit more late than usual like starting sessions around 905 906 or thereabouts and it'd be nice if you were less late <laughs> and he's he's like you know you make me want to like do that so he actually i was late to the last one cuz i'm i'm very well trained now i don't show up for sessions at 9 anymore cuz um you know we don't start at 9 so um but I'm pretty sure that the exchange in his mind is that um uh we have a full fifty minutes. I think that's his thing is fifty minutes. I'm, I'm never really hundred percent sure about that. But his thing is we have a full fifty minutes and you know if it starts at nine oh six then it goes till whatever fifty minutes later is and then we wrap up. So
0: Well, I think some of the listeners are defensive for you. Yeah, they are. They yeah. care about you that's and they nice. they don't want your you don't. They, they know that you're a nice person. They yeah. don't want you to put up with that or to, mm. ha- to be hurt by someone else. Yeah. Uh, well, let me let me try on something for size. Bob, sure. You tell me. So, with your therapist, from what I can tell, you have a, a really deep, wonderful relationship with them. Yeah. That is perhaps the perfect earned security corrective experience that you could have. Uh, more so than you've ever had before yes, with that's any true. other therapist that's, yes that's right and the relationship is deep you know that he isn't just at work when he is talking to you you know that he truly does care about you yeah. and thinks about you and is impacted by you mm-hmm. and is dedicated to you and there's uh, there's no ambiguity about that and the fact that he shows up a little late sometimes isn't that big of a deal when you compare it to the the, the, yeah. bigger, the bigger picture. That's right. That's true. Right. Yeah. Anonymous upper tier patron from Maryland writes in and says, I've been seeing my therapist for three years. During the pandemic, I had adopted, adapted to Zoom sessions. During the, during the pandemic, I, I adapted to Zoom sessions. My therapist, he told me he's unsure when he will see clients in person again. I'm really struggling with this and feel sadness and a sense of betrayal in a way. I'm quite attached to my therapist, and I really miss seeing him in person. Do I talk to him more about it? I don't want to make him feel bad for something that he's doing to be safe. Are there any suggestions for rebuilding a connection? Bob, what do you think?
1: Um, Yes, you talk about it. Uh, you can talk about it more than once, too. You can just talk about it. Like, where are we at with meeting in person? How important this is to me? You know, this is still important to me. I'd really like to meet in person. Or, you know, I'm vaccinated, you're vaccinated. Can we make an arrangement here? It's These are totally reasonable things to continue to talk about. Um, if you don't get what you want for your birthday, you maybe ask for it for Christmas, right? I mean, you you, you can actually keep at it. And um, you also get to talk about, if you want to, you get to talk about how it feels to not meet or the stories that you tell yourself when your therapist, you know, has their limit and it's different from yours. Like, do you tell yourself a story about them not caring or um, them, you know, being willful or whatever? You guys actually get to talk about that and you'll learn, you get to learn something that you might not otherwise learn if things were uh, smooth. They say the pearl is the oyster's answer to irritation. You get an opportunity to make a pearl. Yeah. A ther- a therapy pearl.
0: Therapy pearl. Yeah, absolutely. Therapy talk pearl. about th- blah, blah, blah. uh <laughs> yeah, absolutely <laughs> talk about it. <laughs> um particularly it sounds like you like him. Yes. Yeah. So it's probably worth uh waiting until things open up, you know, what I hear in your voice or in your email anonymous up to your patron from Maryland, that you're thinking, well, you know, do I talk with him? Do I um, do I abandon this relationship? Maybe look for a different therapist that that's, who is more willing to s- see me in person. Mm. And uh, finding a good therapist that you like is hard. And moments like this can be very therapeutic. So I, I would, if based on your email, yeah, I would absolutely consider this relationship worth salvaging for sure. And you know, eventually, things will open up, and everyone will be back to normal again. Uh, I assume. <laughs> Side note, I'm worried about normalizing teletherapy. We've talked about this before. Um, Even when it's not necessary, I worry that both therapists and clients will just think of it as a, a, a lateral move when I think for many people it won't be. I think it can be for many people. Obviously, there are conveniences that sometimes really necessitate that. But... I'm I'm actually kind of worried. I I hadn't predicted this. Maybe I had on a on a certain level, but obviously the pandemic really pushed things forward maybe another 30 years. Like I wouldn't be surprised if without the pandemic in 30 years there would have been like half teletherapy, half in person. But with the pandemic, because even yourself you talked about how you're going to continue to do teletherapy because of convenience on a certain level, right? It's it's easier to do that sort of work. And I worry about that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I talked about this last time that at my university they're normalizing um, tele tele courses, yeah, and online courses, which is, I, I mean, I, I, on some level, I'm like, okay, that's great because again, convenience. Some people are. I mean, I've I, I've had students who are living in Hawaii or Puerto Rico or something and they can still attend classes, which is great for them. Right. Uh, on the other hand, this is a very human, um, profession. It's not like accounting or mathematics or you you need to be in person and like talking with you right now in person, it, it feels so much better than when we were over zoom. Yeah. You know, it's this tiny little two dimensional screen a little person can't see your, your whole body language situation, not no 3d, no eye contact, no, no smell, no smell. (laughs) Uh, it all adds up to uh, the human experience. You know, we, I don't know. I, I, again, I, I think it's fine on a certain level, but I wonder if in five years, the overall service level will decline because of this this change. And I also worry about our the CBT ifying of our oh, industry yeah. becoming mm-hmm. even more that way because of how easy it is to actually administer CBT over online services. It's all you don't have to be in person necessarily. In fact um, as someone who uses cognitive therapy and behavioral therapy, it, there's there's a certain benefit to not being a person because you can have maybe three 15-minute sessions over a week instead of one hour mm. to check in on, okay, how are your automatic thoughts, how are you doing with your exposure, how yeah. are you doing with your self-talk, how are you doing with your mood, you know, management, more, that sort of thing, which would be great. But, you know, most people don't come into therapy to you and I, to you and me for those issues that lend itself to CBT. Um, so
1: behavior therapy, uh, there's a long tradition in behavior therapy of I do it with the client. So like I've done PTSD exposure therapy with clients at the place where the trauma took place. I sat with this kid with our hands in a toilet cause we were working on OCD. I think my OCD teacher said, Bob, he said, he said, if you're not willing to do it, why sh- how can you ask your client to be do it? So he would go out in the parking lot and sing songs with his clients out loud um, for, I think, for social anxiety or something. Right, about yeah. whatever. yeah. Um, if you're not willing to do it. And I, there's something about sticking your hand in the toilet with your person, with your client, that is um, much more powerful than, than asking them about how it went with their exposure to germs.
0: Tell us that story again. Oh, toilet, sorry?
1: Yeah, he was he was um I got a couple. He was, um this is a kid, he was probably twelve thereabouts, and had um germ germ phobia. And so one of the things that you do about that is you expose to where quote the germs are. And part of that is like toilets. So we literally stuck our hands in the toilet, sat there for, you know, five minutes or whatever and sort of watched his level of distress go down over time and um uh, the point is is that you know toilet water is not ju- the human body is has a very good immune system is the point, so yeah um,
0: and toilet water isn 't actually as dirty as you think it is
1: no do- doorknobs are dirtier, yeah, yeah,
0: your mouth is dirtier, your
1: mouth is yeah by far dirtier, so yeah, I had another guy, same thing his though his um wasn 't so much getting sick as his making his kids sick, so what we did is. We, we took a cliff bar out of my lunch and we rubbed it on a toilet seat. And um, he ate his half, and I ate my half. And uh, I, I was joking with him. I said, I think I got a hair. <laughs> and then at the end, I said to him, Now you will go home and you kiss your wife and kids, and you will not rinse your mouth until that is done. And he was totally willing. And um, yeah, you know, like, did it work? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, one exposure is great, but you have to do it multiple times. Yeah. You have to live basically an exposed life. Right. So um, it's a lot
0: of candy bars off of a toilet off seat. Off a
1: toilet seat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah I wonder if uh, subclinical OCD or subclinical anxiety could be treated that way as well. I think there's a lot of people walking yeah. around with uh, anxiety along those lines that doesn't drastically diminish their life. It, but, pandemic did it make you more? No, I've always been a dermaphobe, yeah. so I'm the You're same. Same. In fact, I feel normalized now. Like <laughs> I, I was walking into Paliacci to get huh. some pizza the other day, and I used my uh, my coat sleeve to open the the, the doorknob. Door yeah, and I feel like. It's funny because I did, I, cause I haven't gone anywhere over the pandemic. And so I, I remember, oh, that's right. Like, I don't have to touch the handle if I don't want to. I can use my coat sleeve. Right, no, I it's... don't even know if that actually improves my life at all. It seems like I could just put my germs on the coat sleeve instead of the I had hand. that thought, right? Yeah, yeah, who knows? But it somehow makes me just, feel better. Yeah. And so I did that. And, I th- and normally I have a, a little bit of shame. Like, what if someone oh. sees me? But now I'm like... I probably yeah. look normal now. Yeah, like I, I'm actually responsible. I'm actually not yeah. being a vector for right. the for the virus, and so I, uh, uh, yeah. So I'm the same, but maybe for me and others, there's little things that one could do to. But yeah, I. I uh, well, how are you doing? Like uh, with. As we start to head into a world, particularly in Seattle, I think particularly in North Seattle, Mm -hmm. where the virus is actually not very prevalent. Yeah. And deaths are way down, if not zero in North Seattle. I'm not sure. I don't actually know. Yeah. About the particular. Uh, Now it's like, okay, maybe maskless. Like, Mm -hmm. for me, the most striking change was... You can, I guess, it's socially acceptable anyway to be walking on a, a, a busy sidewalk in Seattle and not wear a mask, yeah. because one, we're, presumably, we're all vaccinated because Seattle has a pretty high vaccination rate, mm-hmm. and two, even if you did get infected, you'll fight it off, and three, even if you don't fight it off, you're not likely to be hospitalized or harmed. It'll it's supposed to be a smaller infection problem right because your immune system can fight it off before it gets really bad in your body and so we're walking around on the sidewalk in a crowd of people some wearing masks some not Mm -hmm. and then for me sometimes i'm like i'll wear it as a default but sometimes i'm like well i don't know i don't want to put it back on and no one else is really wearing it, so it's probably not I don't really Yeah. I'm 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 pretty sure people know that I'm vaccinated or just figure I am. And it feels weird. Yeah. I'm not particularly scared. I'm more worried about coming across like I don't care. How do you feel about it? Um I think there's so much
1: wind blowing that um outdoors we're pretty safe. So um, right. I I I think if I were going to a crowded place, I'd feel a little different. Like if are they going to have folk life this year? Or wait, what's the next one?
0: I don't think so. Yeah. Well, there's folk life in Bumbershoot in the and Bumbershoot and the Bay to Seattle yeah. and all. Actually, you know, I used to live just a couple blocks away from the yeah. from the Space Needle, right? And would walk through the Seattle Center almost almost every day. And I learned that every weekend there's a festival at Seattle Center. Oh. But sometimes there's, like, there's a Japanese-American oh, right festival, on. I think, in June. And every weekend there's like and, – and even during the week there are always big things. There's like the color run or the Seattle Marathon that it always kind of oh. uh, at least has a stop or maybe even is headquartered in the Seattle Center. So, yeah, I don't know. From what I understand, none of those things are happening right. from what I understand, like – the one thing that bums me out while we're on this topic is Stacy and I used to love going to Seattle Art Fair. Did you ever go to that? Yeah. When's that one? It's, I don't know, May, it was sometime in May or something. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not, but it, you know, it's, it's down by the Kingdome. Oh, no, I don't know the Seattle Art Fair. Oh, it was in the WAMU Center, I think, by Safeco Field or whatever it's called now. Is it still called Safeco? No, uh, T-Mobile now, right? Is it, oh, T-Mobile, yeah. and it's not CenturyLink anymore. It's
1: it's not Lumen
0: Field, Lumen. So Lumen Field and T-Mobile, right? Mm. Anyway, it's down there. Wamu, I just call it the Kingdom, right? And, <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's a Seattle. Offer, and it was so great because actually, what I actually had colleagues of mine who would have art, but what for those who don't know in Seattle. There was this art fair where every art dealer would have, like, a little booth. And there were, I don't know, a couple hundred art dealers in in a small, very kind of compact space. And so it was like you could go to 300 art galleries in the span of, like, one evening. Wow. And the art galleries will choose, like, their best stuff. Maybe like one item from each artist, you know. Whereas you walk into an art gallery, there's like maybe ten or fifteen artists with right. 15, fifteen different items, right? And just the sheer volume and the eye candy of just walking around is like, oh, I mean, everything's so. And then they would have guest artists, like with uh, well, the last time we went a couple of years ago. Um, well, anyway, the bummer is is I think they canceled it forever uh, because of the pandemic, which. I'm like, why would you do that? But anyway, you mean like never again, I think I'm not sure. I mean, that's kind of how it sounded to me. Wow. But uh, the last time we went, there was this Japanese artist who she would, and it was extremely popular and she was very well known. I can't remember her name, but she, she's very well known in the art community. And she, what she did was she would, it, it was this huge space with all these meticulous tables with bread every like four feet different kinds of bread so there'd be like wonder bread and then there'd be like bagels and then there would be like pita bread just like all muffins you know 40 different kinds of bread in these little stacks on these very artsy tables and the crowd would all gather around and, and the artist would come out very quiet and everyone's really quiet and she would one by one, go up in front of each pile of bread. Pretty big pile. You know, very petite, small Japanese lady. And she would smash her face into each pile of bread.
1: <laughs> Hard. And then wipe off and then do the next? Or just? Yeah.
0: Uh-huh. Like, wham! You know, just smush. Whoa. And Wonder the, bread. That's and the bread dangerous. Would, yeah, the, <laughs> the bread would get all kind of smooshed. You uh-huh. know, some bread had more firmness to it and 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 it was the event of the night huge crowds and i have this great photo of her doing it and i have this montage of or this you know i don't know what you call it but this menagerie of faces and everyone has like a different reaction as she smashes her face into this bread like some people are Uh, sort of mortified some people are cringing some people are laughing some people are just looking quizzically (laughs) at it (laughs) anyway so hopefully that'll come back but anyway getting back to some uh, some emails oh so
1: one more thing about this uh telehealth thing um it came to my mind uh, i was talking with my therapist about it and one of the things that came to my mind was You could see somebody scheduling a live session, and then because, you know, oh, work ran late, or I got stuck in traffic, can we just do a Zoom call? And I've already, I've decided the answer to that is no. If you schedule a live session, if you want to move it to a Zoom call, you have to do my cancellation policy, which is 48 hours. Other than that, then you just have to come late. Because I think if I don't do that, I'm going to start feeling like superfluous and unimportant, and um, that'll make me annoyed and get in the way. So. Zoom call, fine, if somebody needs to do a Zoom call. But if they schedule in person and they don't come, I'm not
0: doing a Zoom call sub. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Up at your patron, Rebecca from Scotland says, wow, "Scotland. I am 23. I have been working with my psychologist for three years now. And just as we were about to start EMDR, the pandemic hit. There still isn't any sign for when face-to-face appointments will resume because we haven't been able to work on my trauma therapy as EMDR isn't worth trying over a video call her supervisor suggested that we close my case altogether and they will be in touch when we can book a face-to-face meeting hmm. when i expressed my concern it felt very swept under the rug hmm. and my psychologist began to explain that the procedure had been put that this procedure had been put in place by their manager I got extremely wound up, as I didn't feel heard at all. Would it be a good idea to just get another psychologist? Bob, what do you think? Oh, um,
1: uh, wow. Well, yeah, I got a couple thoughts. One is, can with the taste that's left in your mouth, can they be the therapist you need them to be? Um, can, are they open to working it through? Do you want to wait that long, whatever that long is? Um, you you could get another psychologist or another therapist. If you are going to do EMDR, are you going to run into the same problem? Um, a lot of I don't know, a lot of variables.
0: Yeah, it's hard to know. Uh, so, from what I understand, upper your patron Rebecca from Scotland, you are saying that you started therapy three years ago. Mm-hmm. You have trauma, and a couple years in, you were going to start EMDR. So from if that's true, then you had two years where you were you weren't doing EMDR and you were you had a, a good run of therapy there where it was you're doing something else. Mm-hmm. Then the pandemic hits and they're like, well, we can't do EMDR because of video, which I actually kind of question on a certain level. Mm. Like, why couldn't you? Right. I don't know. I don't know enough about EMDR. Yeah. Well, I guess if you're doing a specific protocol that invi- that involves the kind of laser or the you know the dots or the something, dots or the it would be hard to administer that when you're home. But there are other ways to do EMDR that you don't have to use uh, that device. Plus, mm. you could, yeah. Anyway, so kind of okay. That's fine. It makes sense. I don't do EMDR, but that makes sense. And then. The therapist says the supervisor is suggesting that they close the case. So my guess is is that the supervisor and the therapist have had some conversation around the idea that there isn't anything to work on outside of EMDR. Hmm. But given the fact that you did two years of therapy before EMDR, oh, yeah, it right. sounds like there was something to work on. So what I would suggest, Rebecca, is that you go to your psychologist and you say... I want to work on these other things that actually don't have to do with EMDR, or I want to address my trauma in this other way, like emotional regulation skills or something. I, I would find it hard to uh, imagine that uh, – I mean, I, I, I would find it – I think it would be very possible that if you raised a pretty good goal in therapy that didn't have anything to do with the MDR, that one, your psychologist would – be one, you know, would be glad to work on that with you. And the supervisor might sign off on that work because there, there's a possibility the supervisor is actually tasked with making sure that the psychologists are terminating with clients that aren't really working on anything. So if you have something else to work on, mm. then maybe that will justify it to the supervisor. That That's just my guess. But, yeah. but I get why you would feel discounted. You feel Yuck. like you're just being broken up with on a certain level but that kind of that's kind of how managed care works I, I don't know what it's like in Scotland but mm-hmm. there are uh, eight, you know there's essentially what you have here is there's there's only a certain amount of money to go around and they there have there has to be someone gatekeeping the funds. they can't just you know if everyone you know say in, in the medical field, Every, you know, you can't just say, well, anyone who wants a medical procedure can get it. You can't say that because then you're going to be spending billions, trillions, quadrillions of money because there's no gatekeeping on like, well, your concern is justified, but this other person's concern is, is not justified, right? Uh, so with therapy, it's the same way. And if someone comes in and says, I have PTSD and I need treatment – but we can't provide treatment online, it makes sense to gatekeep the funds and say, like, well, we have to pause. But if you mm-hmm. say, I want I have these five other things I want to work on that can be done over teletherapy, then right. that can give that manager and the psychologist the ability to justify the funds being allocated. Makes sense. Yeah. Mm. Uh, anonymous patron. But first, let's take a break. Bob, what do you say? Yeah. All right. We're back from the break. A little announcement that I have been failing to announce for a long time, which is that on Patreon, we are switching to allow people to do annual memberships. Oh. So up until this point, it's always been monthly mem- memberships. Yeah. But we are now, or Patreon allow is now allowing us to do annual, and you can get a pretty big discount. I think it's like 15% discount if wow. you sign up on an annual basis. Mm plus it also helps us if people switch from monthly to annual because it's easier to plan for the future so if you are a patron please consider signing up for annual because that really helps us out it it doesn't it's not a huge thing but it actually does help us out quite a bit and if you aren't a patron and you want to become one if you could sign up for the annual if you want to the whole model that we have here on the podcast is when you become a patron, you get access to all of our archive of all the patron episodes, but we also release patron episodes every, you know, week or so. And so the whole idea of being a patron is that you're supporting people ongoing, that it's, it's not just something you dip in and out of. And some people do that and that's fine. Of course, if that's, you know, whatever life circumstances or that's your choice, but the idea is, is that. You are supporting people ongoing, <laughs> and so the annual membership is more in line with that ethic. Along those lines, I want to give an OPP for patrons who have been uh, patrons since April of 2017. So Whoa. these these individuals have been patrons since April of 2017. Wow, We have Rachel from Maryland. MD, that's Maryland, right? MD? MD, yeah. We got Laura from Seattle. Hey! We have Danielle from Mount Lake Terrace, Wow. Up just up north in Seattle. We have Practice Makes Presence, which I think is a maybe another Patreon page. They are an upper-tier patron from Goodyear, Arizona. Wow. We got Sarah from Chevy Chase, Maryland. Oh. Is that named after Chevy Chase? I think it's the other way around. Okay. Uh, we got Kat, who I don't know where they're from. We got Annie, where I don't know. We have Jorge wow. from California. We have Jean from Pittsburgh. We have Lexi from New York, New York. And we have Shelly from Sherman, Texas. Thank you so much, Rachel, Laura, Janelle, pr- Practice Makes Perfect, Sarah, Kat, Annie, Jorge, Jean, Lexi, and Shelly for one, becoming a patron of the podcast, but two, sticking with us. All the way since April of 2017. Holy cow. So let's get on to... Oh, and another announcement. We, well, I don't know. It's possible that we're past the deadline by the time we post this episode, but we are giving a, away a $2,000 scholarship. Hey, right on. So if you want to go to the website and you're a master's or doctoral student in psychotherapy or psychology and you want to apply, we haven't had that many people apply. So oh, really? if you apply, you have a good chance of getting it, yeah. Yeah, And we are also going to be having our 13-hour, 13th anniversary live show on August 7th, Saturday. Uh, So join us on YouTube for that. And also, if you want to send us anything in the mail, and actually you could send Bob things as well through this venue. If you ever want to send us like a card or a gift or something... You can send it to the following address. Get out your pads and papers if you want to send us something. The address is Psychology in Seattle one zero 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 two. One zero 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 two. So that's three zeros one zero 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 two Aurora Avenue North Suite thirty six number two one four Seattle, Washington nine eight one three three nine three three four. That's 10002 Aurora Avenue North Suite 36 number 214 Seattle Washington 98133. And uh if you want to send sometimes people will send like a magnet with a saying that Bob says like someone sent you a magnet that said what do they what is it? It's like I wish oh. I wish I wish I had a Bob in my life or something like that.
1: I can't remember. Oh, I can't believe I can't remember. Is it on your fridge? It's on my filing cabinet in my office. Okay. Uh,
0: Yeah. Well, anyway, someone sent a very funny, touching magnet to Bob. People will send us magnets or other kind of merch things or artist drawings or care packages or cards or whatever. And... We love it. We love it. I, ha- I have some things that people sent me behind me, actually, on my wall behind me. If you ever watch my videos on YouTube, there's there's some fan stuff. So Bob's mm. looking at it. Yeah, I don't gonna... know if you can see that psychology in Seattle there uh, behind the dock. <laughs> can you see it? Oh, yeah, I can see it. Okay, that's... that's Oh, right on. That's cool. Art from a fan. Let's see. What else? Uh, that Well, some of the stuff's from my students, too. Oh, that's uh, nice. But anyway... So anonymous patron writes in, "Do you have any tips on how to survive when your therapist goes on vacation?" I have been with my therapist for over four years, and I always find it difficult whenever he goes on vacation. Mm. We've spoken about what goes on for me, and he provides me as much support as he can. He gives me tons of notice, and he has invited me to email him during his breaks if needed. Mm. But I am always thrust. But I am always thrust into an acute state of abandonment anxiety whenever he heads off on a well-deserved break. Bob, what do you think?
1: Um, I've had clients take things out of my office, you know, like a they call them transitional objects. I don't yeah. really like that label. Doesn't matter. Um, they'll take something like, uh, you know, I had a shell and a fossil or whatever. And somebody took the, my, my young action figure. Somebody took my, I don't know. I think I had Freud Freud, my Freud action figure. What does the Freud action figure do? Yeah. Uh, nothing. His arms move. I think he has a cigar. Oh, okay. He just stands there though. Somebody took that, um, um, a book. Somebody took a book once. So, so holding on to the book or, you know, like you could always ask your therapist to write you a card, you know, to like open while they're, while they're out of town. Um, you, 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 you have the option of learning to live with the abandonment anxiety. Like it probably isn't in anybody's interest to avoid all things that make us anxious. And, um, I wonder what could be learned by exploring it, by like, you know, um, not, I wouldn't do this 24 seven, but by simply permitting the experience of anxiety to come upon me, say for some length of time, maybe a half an hour or maybe just five minutes or maybe less. Um, and just like sit with the physical experience of the thing, um, listen to the story that you tell yourself about it, not with the idea that you're going to argue with it, um, um, you you probably can't you won't win that argument. But but you do get to you do get an opportunity to listen to it and you know what it means to you and what you're saying about your therapist's um out of townness. Um so um then you know, there's like distress tolerance skills that people can use, like distraction and you know, like um self soothing and other kinds of self care stuff and um those aren't meant to make it better. They're just meant to, you know, Hopefully, help you just get by and keep from making it worse. At the, at, at the at least, um, that's all. I, oh, I bumped the thing. That's all I can think of.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you're curious, Bob bumped the table, and uh, that's what you're saying. He didn't. He's not saying bump the thing on Honest Patreon. No, trip. no, no, no. I I bumped the table here <laughs> with my knee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, you know, we get a lot of questions in this category of I have a lot a huge attachment to my therapist Mm -hmm. what do i do when they go on vacation or Mm -hmm. i want to see them more often or i want to be with them and that is unfortunately part of the gig when you engage in corrective experiences and therapy regarding your abandonment traumas there's no way to engage in the healing without having your abandonment being triggered you have to have an intense a secure attachment in order to heal and that means you have to be vulnerable to being abandoned and you're going to have that anxiety and it's just going to suck yeah and i know it sucks and i'm so sorry that it sucks i wish there was a way around it there is zero way around it that the impulse is like well what if he never just never goes on vacation or what if i saw him five hours a day or what if we lived together, and I could see him all the time. You would still feel the fear of abandonment. It doesn't take that away. There's, yeah, a, there's an, point. an illusion that if I could just get this, I won't feel this fear. It, it just doesn't work that way. You're going to feel it, and I'm so sorry that you're feeling that. If you want to blame someone, it's whoever abandoned you or whoever made you feel that way to begin with. This is just part of that therapy. Mm. Patron Odette from South Africa says... What exactly did you mean when you said mature love and relationships will never be like it was in the womb? Do you remember when I, was I remember that? that? Yeah. What exactly did you mean when you said that? I felt incredibly depressed after hearing you say that we all have to grieve true love. And I was wondering if if you can elaborate more on what you meant. I have a preoccupied attachment style, alcoholic father, emotionally cold mother, have been dumped hard more than once, as Mm. you were discussing, so I'm a real adult, ha ha. (laughs) (laughs) And I struggle immensely with the thought that I can never feel a certain way again. I understand love isn't meant to be easy, but the idea of having to come to terms with that fact that, in a way, as Bob put it, I will never get to be this happy again, this is deeply depressing. Bob, how did you feel when you heard Dr. Kirk say that mature love and relationships will never be like it was in the womb? How did I feel? I didn't really feel anything about that.
1: I know that that's the case and I'm okay with that.
0: So, um, do you think you've grieved that fantasy before or is it just not that big of a deal to you? I
1: yeah, I think I've grieved that fantasy. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think one there's no other way around it. You have to grieve it. Yeah. Yeah. I think what you mean is that there's not going to be perfect mirroring that, um, adult love is going to be two people who have their own kind of agendas and their own kind of direction. And it's more like, instead of singing in unison, it's more like singing a duet, Yeah, you know, like I saw this duet once, um, or heard it. It was a Mozart. Um, I don't remember which Madam Butterfly. No, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, where these two people were singing, two women were singing, and they weren't singing the same thing, but what they were singing made a really kind of a beautiful mm, whole thing, whole yeah. thing. But each one was singing their own thing. I think that's kind of what relationships are, is this possibility of having a duet like that. But we are, um, different from our partner and we aren't going to experience the kind of mirroring, um, that we had or we needed to have when we were young and it might be that if you come out of um, you know you grow up in a family where you know the seeds for preoccupied attachment style are laid that your experience is going to be different from somebody who grows up secure and they have to you know make the same adjustments um, because there won't be mom's perfect mirroring or dad's perfect whatever you know um that when you're an adult, you know, be with somebody who you know doesn't do that. And and let's be clear that that you know parents get it wrong like seventy percent of the time with kids that they're really paying attention to. That that perfect mirroring is really an illusion, um and everybody's just doing the best they can. Well, that's probably yeah. Well, no, I actually think that's true. Everybody is doing the best they can. Um, so I didn't feel bad when you said it. and
0: um, Did you get depressed about it the first time you kind of wrestled with this idea?
1: I don't recall. I might have. I don't recall wrestling with it. It Certainly, what I remember about that, that was the one about the breakup. Um, what I remember is that in grieving the thing I let go somehow would let go of the idea that I'll never be happy again and was just focused on being sad now. And I think the focusing on being sad now and letting go of what's going to happen in the future was probably the thing that was curative for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that patron Odette from South Africa, you wrote in so that we could follow up on this because it is a comp- complex issue. And yeah, and it makes sense that, Anyone would be depressed with that idea. I'm depressed slightly with that idea. It's a bummer. It's sort of the realization, you know, there's similar realizations as you get older that time is finite. My time is finite. Oh, yeah, that one. Uh, You know, when you're five, maybe even 25, you have a vague understanding that your life is finite, but you don't really grasp it until you get older. Yeah. It's similar when it comes to this topic of it's normal for us. You know, when we were two, if things were going well, but even if things weren't going well, we at least hoped and imagined this was possible. Or we had glimpses of this, that our parents are 100% focused on us. They love us. They love only us. We are the only thing that they think about. The world revolves around me, and I am going to be safe. My entire being, everything about me, is known to my parents. My every need is understood. They get me. When I cry, they're there. When I laugh, they're there. When I need something, they are there. And we are one. I am one with my parents. Again, not everyone gets that. Every kid wants that. But when you have that want and or need being met, it is all-encompassing. And we don't really ever forget that. We forget many things about what it was like to be two. But we don't really forget that vibe, that feeling of of pure melding with another human. And, of course, when we romantically get involved with people... Mm. Or even just deep friendships, deep relationships, Mm. we, at times, will have glimpses of that, particularly in the beginning of a relationship. Yeah. And, you know, you're in a romantic relationship, and you're lying in bed, and you're just staring into each other's eyes. And just like, I love you. (laughs) And it's the other person, I love you, too. Oh, my God, you're the best. Oh, my God, you're the best. Oh, my God, we're, we're the same. Oh my God, we're the same. And that's great. I'm not making fun of it. It is great. It's a wonderful feeling. It doesn't last. <laughs> and you know, some people, they call them swans. There are these uh, relationships that are very long-term, like 50 years long, and they s- will claim that they retain that that deep sense of new relationship energy, as the polyamorous people call it. Well, I- I'm skeptical of that. Honestly, everyone that I've heard that have talked about the that experience... I will later learn that their relationship isn't always like that all the time. Uh, So who knows? But maybe that's a topic for another episode. but, But this loss of that fantasy, something that we once either had or thought we had or hoped for, but we probably never really had it, you know, because we were too dumb to understand that our parents had their own lives we were too small (laughs) to understand our brains were too small or our understanding of the world was too limited that we actually did believe that the world the world evolved around us but it didn't really revolve around us and good parents are effective at convincing us that the world revolves around us but they know the world doesn't revolve you know a four-year-old says look at me i just drew this picture and Good parents or good adults will be like, oh, my God, that is the best picture of all time. (laughs) When in reality, you're thinking that's just like all the other dumb pictures you've been trying and all the other ones that I've, you know, it's no different from all the other pictures I've seen. It is not special. It's not different. It's not even particularly good. But I don't care. You created it. and I'm glad and I'm happy for you. But my I'm not going to say that I'm not going to be like yeah, kid, I've seen many other pictures like that before. It's not impressive. You you just say, oh, my goodness, you are the best drawer. That's great. And the kid walks away convinced and saying, oh, my God, I am understood. People value me. Now, I'm not saying that kids are being tricked. I'm saying that that it's a feeling that we, again, either get or get glimpses of or hope for when we are young. And it makes sense that we want that again. We want someone to truly meld with us and truly understand us and truly be there all the time. Just instant responsiveness. No moodiness or full open vulnerability. I am feeling the radical honesty, you know. And people will strive for this, and some people are better better at it than others. Mm. And it just doesn't work out. Now, maybe it can, and maybe there are rare instances, but it just doesn't work out that way. We as adults, pretty much from the time we become four years old we're, we're on we're on the road towards realizing that we are mostly alone or or not mostly alone we are we are alone in some ways i will say and we will never really meld with another human being we might have moments like i said but we will never have that and that is depressing because how wonderful would it be for all of us to be able to turn to our special people and meld and to have that fully encompassing love and understanding and you're vibing together, you're in the zone and it feels a hundred percent safe and it always feels safe. And, there's all this energy toward each other, you know, like, I need you. Oh, my God, you need me. We need each other all the time. It's, this is, you know, it. it's there. Again, there are glimpses of that for sure. But to not have that. Yeah, that uh, it's sad. It's a loss. Mm-hmm. And to be depressed, to be sad is rational. <laughs> it's the same sadness that we all go through when we realize our existential demise we get sad and uh, you know that's that's okay grief has elements of sadness in it what do we do with it though what do we do with with what, what meaning do we de- derive from it for me i don't i'm not exactly sure what meaning i've derived from it. i don't know if i've given this a ton of thought specifically mm. but if i was thinking off the top of my head it is that I, you know, I I guess it returns me to like, well, what is the meaning of my life exactly? You know, is it to, you know, for I'll just say for me. So for me, I frequently, when I run into these griefs and these sadnesses and these existential dread moments, whether it be death or lack of melding or some other, or, disheartening political things i say well i was i'm here and i've decided that i am going to try to make the world a better place mm-hmm. you know that's my whole thing it's a lot of people's thing but it's my thing yeah <laughs> and i always return to that. i'm like well life sucks life has suffering but what am, what am i going to do with my time and i'm going to try to make the world a better place and so when i'm when I move towards that goal, it feels it feels good and i i say well i can't you can't always get what you want, but I can at least get this thing I can at least try to do this thing. What about you How are you doing so far
1: with like what what, what you're 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 a kid you're still young you're what fifty yeah <laughs> that's fun to say Um, if you died tomorrow would you have would you feel good about what you've
0: contributed so there's something a little weird about me that I've asked myself that question to varying degrees probably average on a daily basis since I was 16 years old maybe a little less than that maybe like every other day Yeah. and I don't just ask, ask it kind of uh, haphazardly, I actually try to answer it. like, okay, am I living my life mm-hmm. in a way that if I died tomorrow, there wouldn't be any regrets? Mm-hmm. And so, when you ask yourself that question and you realign your life accordingly, then you're always living the life that at least you think is is worthy. You know, that's why that there's a lot of things that I do like there. Two things pop into my head. One is, is I don't do social things or work things that I don't want to do, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like I don't do obligations. Mm-hmm. There, a long time ago, I'm like, I got limited time in this plan and I'm not going to do an obligation that I don't want to do. Wow. So like <laughs> one of the things that I, I don't do as a policy is I don't go to children's uh, birthday parties. So, there, you know, back when we were kids, one. Maybe you got a birthday party, but if you did, it was for kids. It was not for parents. Oh, yeah. Parents didn't show up. Parents had better things to do. Well, now the culture is, which is fine if people if this is what they want to do, but now when little kids have birthday parties, the parents are supposed to go. All the parents are supposed to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not universal, but it's a trend. No kidding. Yeah. And so, like a two-year-old will be having a birthday party. I mean, two-year-old actually makes a little bit more sense because a two-year-old doesn't even really, but like a five-year-old will have a birthday party and you invite not only all, all the five-year-old's friends and their parents, but you invite all of your friends. So, and of course the birthday party is, is five-year-old oriented. It's not adult oriented, which of course that's the way it should be. Yeah. Right. It'll be at like a, you know, a gym, like a play gym, an indoor play gym or something, or there'll be clowns and stuff like this. And it's just half, I would say 25% of the time that I have gone to these things, it's it's actually enjoyable. I got to, you know, socialize with my friends. But the other chunk of the time, it's just a lot of wrangling children, you know, <laughs> which is fine if you, you know, if you have a young child. But yeah. if you don't, then it's like, well, you know. What am I doing here? Yeah. And so I just don't go. You don't go to those. Even though all of my other friends go, and I'm pretty sure they do it out of obligation. I don't know. I haven't asked them. Well. But that's just one of the things. I'm just like, I'm not going to go. I don't want to go. And I'll, I'll go to all the other events. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm a pretty good show upper Yeah, yeah. But not to that. Um, anyway, so... So for you, the contribution yes. is...
1: What am I doing to make the world a better place, but also making sure that you maximize the joy that comes out of your time exactly
0: yeah, yeah, that's nice wasn't it was it the who were the philosophers in the Greek isles one there's some oh. some well it was the hedonists weren't they anyway there's a group I remember there was some two thousand ancient you know yeah. year old philosophy island group of people that. They are often mistaken for people that are really into self-pleasuring, selfish. Oh, yeah. But in reality, what they were saying is that you should live a life knowing that you have limited time while trying to enjoy yourself. But also enjoying yourself might be being altruistic at the same time. So it's not selfish. Yeah. And... I can't remember the philosophy, but I remember. But, yeah, I – I, uh well, actually, last night as I was about to fall asleep, something popped into my head, and I was like, I don't know why, along these lines around, well, what more could I do? You know, what more could I do to actually try to make the world a better place? And I have some ideas. I don't know if I want – I don't want to talk about them right now. but Sure. But I have some ideas about what – that could mean um and that's when i'm in that zone then i yeah since i was like i said 16 i've Mm -hmm. said with yeah if i die tomorrow then you know i don't i i've lived a good life you know i there's not there's nothing that i there's things i i hope to accomplish if i live longer oh sure but i feel like i gave it my best shot and I didn't mess around and I didn't waste my time and I didn't hold back and I didn't, I wasn't afraid. I didn't, I didn't give in to fear. Right I on. didn't, I mean, I do, but I, I try not to, you mm-hmm. know. I, I didn't, I didn't say, well, there's always tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I, I said, no, there's now. There's now. <laughs> there's now. Do it now. Yeah. Don't wait. Um, I, I feel like, I've done that my whole life because of my neurosis around thinking about the fact I'm going to die. <laughs> so I, I have there's pros and cons <laughs> to that, to that sure. space of the utter abyss uh, terror of mm-hmm. death and the motivation to don't waste your freaking time, man. Right on. What about you? What's the question? Uh... One, how do you deal with the lack of melding with other humans? And two, are you living the life that you want to live? Oh,
1: oh, the small questions. Um, how do I deal with the lack of melding? I don't know how to answer that. I'm, I'm, you know, somewhat withdrawn, so that's not the best. Would you like to
0: meld with Colleen?
1: No, I don't want to meld with her. I would like to be... I I think I have a habit. I I said this to her last week. I'm like, "Do you mind that I'm quiet?" And she said She said as long as you're not like quietly avoiding me, then no. But I don't like it when you're withdrawn from me. Cuz I think I think I do. I'm pretty in I'm 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 pretty in, in, internal. So you know that's fine. I like I like a lot of what goes on in my brain. I don't like all of it, but I like a lot of it. Um, and then what was the second one? I don't even know if I answered the first one. What's the second one?
0: I think you did. Okay, I think you answered that. Well, maybe you didn't. So in that episode when we talked about the breakup, the breakup, right? You were talking about this previous relationship and how, yeah. You don't know if you will ever be happy like that again. That was the belief I had at the time when I was refusing to
1: accept that it really is over was I'll never be happy again. I was I was accepting a prediction as a fact. It's a really bad idea. One should not do that Um, because a you don't know what's going to happen. And B, that ends up being a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of thing that you will make that come true, which is uh, useless. Um there is no wind, there's no upside to that. So only believe things that are factually true. And one of the things that's true is what's happening now. And one of the things that's never true is what's going to happen tomorrow. They do not even know what the weather's going to be tomorrow. They just make a guess. They get it wrong a lot of the time. We all go, we're okay with that because, you know, whatever. It rains. It's not raining. It's no big deal, um, by and large. So, so I think that was just avoidance of grief, though. And when I stopped avoiding the grief, I I let go of that business about how happy I'm ever going to be. I don't think it's the thing I think about that much anymore. So I don't have that, you know, they have that, that thing in the PTSD where, where you have a foreshortened, a foreshortened sense of the future or of your life, um, you know, either the length or the quality of your life being curtailed. I don't have that anymore. That went away. Mm-hmm. Um. And I don't miss that relationship anymore. And I think um, I would probably find her annoying.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm I'm quite sure of that. Not because
1: like, she's a bad person or anything. She's not. She's fine, I'm sure. But I don't think... I think I wasn't relating to her. I was relating to
0: my story of her. And, right. Um, right. That, I think that's a big part of what I was talking about yeah. is when we are... Thirteen or twenty two and we fall hard in love for the very first time, it often is not really in love with that person I mean no. it, it's more in love with the fantasy, yeah, uh, which can feel great, but it's yeah. not it's not necessarily in love with them or the reality of the relationship you know um, yeah, and I, I should mention that psychoanalytic writers have been commenting on this for over a hundred years this this maturity depression that you get when you realize that you can you can't really return to the womb they, they've they known about this for a long time that this feeling of sadness and demoralization once you realize that there's no going back yeah but on the other side isn't just sadness it yeah. isn't just loss no. it's different yeah my relationship with bob some of you know about my relationship with bob out there yeah and we have a very close relationship. Yeah. We can be vulnerable together when we're in need of help. We will reach out to each other. This relationship is very important to me. Yeah. Uh, is it? And it's extremely safe to me. I feel very safe. I feel very. I feel like I'm okay. Or in your eyes, wow. I feel like I feel like I'm a a good enough human being. You know, in your eyes.
1: Oh, I'm so glad.
0: Yeah. And yet. We're not melded, you know. No, no, no. So, and yeah. yet, um, we don't talk all the time. No. And yet, there are times when we don't necessarily get each other, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but that's okay. Yeah, that's you know? all right. It doesn't. It does. Just because Odette from South Africa, we can't return to the womb. It doesn't mean we can't have deep, safe, good long-lasting, secure relationships. We yeah, can. that. It's just with this, you know, background knowledge that I can never fully have that fantasy that I have. You know, I have a fantasy of just complete enmeshment, good enmeshment. Yeah, that enmeshment. And, enmeshment. and it just, it's okay. There's another version. And, mm-hmm. and what the psychoanalysts would talk about is, you go through this phase of of grief and depression once you realize the fantasy can never happen. But on the other side is actually a wonderful life. It's just, a, it's just different than what you thought as a child. Mm-hmm. You can have tremendously deep, secure relationships with people. In some ways, I guess in some ways, it's more real. Because like I said, when we're a child, the fantasy is propped up by this... Um, developmental distortion that isn't real Mm -hmm. (laughs) um i mean it's complicated there's a lot of angles to this but but bob are you living your purpose
1: mostly yeah what is your purpose
0: you've Um, talked about this before
1: yeah uh i have a couple purposes one is you know to learn how to be a good therapist and um become competent and uh that you know, that's that's not something you just like one and done. That's something that uh, grows over time, which is really cool because it continues to grow over time. It's been thirty years, so that's cool. And the other one is to um, help Colleen have a good life. So um, you know, I'm learning to accept that there's limits to my capacity to help with that. So. What does that mean? It means, um, I can, I can support her and I can't take over for her and the ways in which she gets stuck. I, I, I owe her grace. I owe her acceptance, but I don't, I don't have to, um, um, work I, I it's not my job to um ultimately to ensure that that happens which is kind of sad for me but it's true
0: uh, it's not your job to fully make sure that it happens so you, why is it your job because i don't have say over it so if it's if i don't have power over it it can't be my responsibility right yeah i mean as part of that uh, so if i was to interpret what i know about you and mm-hmm. what you're saying right now is mm-hmm. that there's um a light side and a dark side to that goal or that life purpose of making the world a better place for Colleen. Yeah. One is is it's it's love mm-hmm. and presumably she has a similar dedication to you. Yeah, yeah. And it's mutual and it's altruistic and mm-hmm. she deserves to have someone in her corner. She hasn't had that a lot. Mm-mm. And it is instant feedback obviously benefits you. If she's happy with you, it's more secure relationship for you. Right. That's true. The dark side is that it is not related to you and more related to someone else. Yes. Dark side is if she's having a bad day, you can, you're out of your purpose Mm -hmm. and your life purpose is, is, you're failing even though it doesn't have anything to do or even if it does have, have to do with you, she's having a bad day. You're, you're failing.
1: Well, you remember we were, you and me were talking about, I don't know, a month ago or something. And you were saying something about differentiation. You said, Bob, when you're, when you differentiate, you have actually more, you're more resourced and you have more to give. Yeah. And so I think for me, um, My marriage has been uh, exercised in growing differentiation, and I suspect that um, the more I differentiate from Colleen, the more love I'll have to offer her, and the easier time I'll have. And it might actually even be facilitating her if I'm not so... Attached to a particular kind of goal or whatever. It might make, make things easier for her. But
0: in any case... Meaning uh, that she's freer to have her, her down times. Her downtimes Without ruining your life.
1: Right. It's not about me. Right.
0: Yeah. So. Interesting. It, let's say you're on a path right now regarding everything we're talking about. Sure. What's the... What's the... What's... The, what's you in five years look like in terms of this purpose? Hmm. The the help Colleen have a good life purpose? Mm-hmm. Is it modified at all? Is it the same?
1: Yeah, it's modified. It'll probably, I'm imagining if I'm successful in five years, I won't consider this, um, I won't think about this the same way. Mm. That perhaps what I'll be more interested in is the contribution I make and not so much the outcome. I still care I still care about that. I think I'll always care about that. I love her and so I want to contribute to her well-being and welfare. That's just normal. Um but I think probably the more I grow, the less I feel cuz you could say that some of my goal is related to a sense of you know mer- wanting to merge and you know your happiness is my happiness. And um, feeling a sense of responsibility, which is true. Um, I do feel that. And I don't think that that's the, um, I don't, it's not optimal to feel responsible for somebody else. And she and me, we'll we'll have this r- sort of running joke with one another. You know, you don't have a really high happiness at that point, she'll say to me. And I'm like, yeah, I know you don't either. We're not really happy people. <laughs> 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 Which you know is very relieving to 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 recognize. What does that
0: mean you're not happy people?
1: Um I think we're both prone to anxiety and uh depression and and quite a bit of shame. Those are our um often lurking
0: feelings. Like all every day?
1: Yeah, yeah, every day.
0: And not so happy as a result. No, 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 they'll they'll get in the way. Yeah. 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 And what's the what is the dominant if it's not happiness, what is it? Worry shame too but worry like treadmill in your mind kind of yeah thoughts like oh you're gonna screw that up or you did screw that up or if you don't
1: take care of this that or the other if you don't do this that or the other then so lately what I've been doing is I've been paying more and more attention to well what do I want right um which is really scary you know like this is all tied together with yeah my disorganization yes that thanks um um because you could say that the goal of making Colleen happy is really an an expression of disorganization. Right. In,
0: uh, partly, it's not, not It's not
1: entirely, right, right, yeah. So um, I feel the angst of the anxiety that goes with stating a preference, saying what I want or whatever. Um, um,
0: That's a wonderful development, though. It is. Yeah. I'm terrible uh, at it. When I have clients that reach that point, I'm like... Like, I'm tearing up just for you right now. Oh, thanks. I mean, that's a wonderful development. the, The safety that you have been given and the relaxation that you've experienced has caused a need to emerge. That's a great way to put it. I don't feel... I feel
1: safe enough to allow preference to express itself sometimes and that is scary like the actual yeah. doing of it is scary but you'd have to feel safe enough to take the risk that's right to even just you know remember you and me talked about it as like you got a dark room inside you and you got to learn how to turn on the lights and so you can see around yeah. who you are what you like et cetera. Et cetera. yeah
0: so um what you know, comes up for you when you think about that what you want what comes up for me yeah oh um is it all sexual?
1: Yeah, some of it is. Yeah. yeah. Is, is it that obvious? <laughs> well, I just know you, so. <laughs> um, and then, you know, then I sort of go through the Rolodex of, you know, safer stuff to talk about, like, um, you know, food. I, you know, what kind of food do I want? Or, um,
0: so really, so like when you have that connection with you and your needs uh-huh. and you start to have the safety to ask a question even to yourself what do i want Uh like what i will what i would eat is is on that that merge like well wait so i can actually i'm safe enough to even ask a question to myself what do i want to eat yeah interesting yeah yeah we were having a bit of
1: a an argument yesterday and um uh it was and um i remember it was around dinner time and i was thinking well okay, so we're not going to eat that for dinner. So what do I want to eat for dinner? And I started coming through and I noticed I was standing in my kitchen and I noticed a kind of paralysis come over me. Like, I don't know if it's okay for me to like move around the house. And really that's like the hauntings of, you know, my grown-up experience. Cause the more invisible you are, uh, when I was growing up, the more invisible I was, the safer I was. Yeah. And so don't have a, an, exp- don't have a preference. Don't, don't have a desire and don't certainly don't don't talk about it so um um i found myself moving around the house more than i might have like there's there's been days um bad days in the past where like if she and me are in a we're in a fight or something i won't leave the room i won't go into the kitchen to eat something even though my body is hungry I'll cause I, I feel like I'm too conspicuous. Like it's dangerous or something. Not that Colleen, Colleen has never said anything to me that would, this
0: is all me. Yeah. Yeah. But um, you get this sense of hunker down and hide. Yeah. Yeah. It's safer to be invisible in my little hideaway home. Yeah. Yeah. Hideaway room. The hideaway room. Right. Yeah. It's safer that way. Yeah.
1: So, um, so, so standing in the kitchen and moving around and um um uh, putting pulling some food together was
0: progress for me. Huh. So yeah, there's that. So up until now when you decide what to eat it was I'm guessing heavily influenced by well what do other people want me to eat? Yeah. What else? What 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 could I eat that wouldn't impose on other people? No, oh, definitely um, Yeah, or
1: or what would what would somebody else like to eat and I'll just make that. Right. That you know, which is fine because she and I we you know we share a lot of taste, so that's yeah.
0: fine. so But from the Colleens of the World we want the Bobs of the world to know what they want so that we can actually please them. Yeah. Because it sucks to only be pleased you you know. Right. It's like what do you want to do today? I don't know. What do you want to do today? It's best if both people can enjoy something together rather than one person doing something that you want to do. It's nice to have someone do what you want to do but you you want the other person Person to to want it too. To sort of have some reciprocity or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 She bought me a rice cooker for my birthday.
0: Like an actual good Japanese rice cooker? Yeah. What are we well, talking?
1: I don't know if it's good. It begins with a Z. Yeah.
0: Is it the kind that has a lid that kind of really clamps down or is the kind of lid that just sits on the top?
1: No, it clamps down, I think. Yeah. And seals. Seals. Yeah. Okay. Um, That's not the one I, I grew up with.
0: But those are those are yeah.
1: legit. Yeah. yeah. Um, because I've been trying to make learn how to make sushi rice. Yeah. And I screw
0: it up. I think I made it. Well, like twice. Well, t- it, I know how to make sushi, Mike. I wonder. I just ask you. <laughs> well, you can. There's a lot of YouTube videos. I I looked at several, and they all have their own idea, and that's yeah, it's different. So, yeah. so you make well. Are you talking like the consistency of the rice itself, or yeah. of how to add the ingredients? Well, probably both. Do you are you actually trying to make sushi rice, or are you trying to make sticky rice? Um, I was making salmon nigiri. I mean, okay, that's what. Yeah. So. The so the kind of rice maker you make is a I'm not familiar with. If you had the other kind I could tell you exactly how much water you add and there's a there's a thing involving your fingers, a knuckle thing that my mom taught me that I don't always use, but but you want it to be pretty moist is the thing. And you can always pull out the moisture at the very end, you know. But anyway, automatic rice gurgers. So so when you're done with the rice or gohan as we call it. Is it, is it, you know, pretty good sticky rice at the end? Okay. So you put it in a thing, and I'm sure there's real sushi masters would have all sorts of specifics here. But what I do is you get your your rice vinegar, your sugar, and your salt, and there's a certain ratio. I can't remember what it is. You mix it up, and then you uh, – is, is this all the stuff that you've been doing? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but probably get the like proportions, you know, whatever. yeah. Strangely, there's a fair amount of sugar, you know, Mm -hmm. like in sushi rice. So, And the vinegar makes sense. The salt, of course, makes sense. But anyway, so then you put it in the rice, but then you have to fan it. You have to fan it? Yeah. Like you have to cool it really fast? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, no. What you're trying to do is you're trying to make it so that every rice grain has a film of the sugar, salt, Salt and and vinegar. Vinegar, Shiny. Taste so it's not clumped, you yeah. know, because if you just sort of mix it in there, they'll be, you know, they'll be, cl- and so you're trying to fan it. It's also a, you need an optimal amount. And again, real sushi people would just be going crazy at what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> but, I- <laughs> but you also want the, the sushi rice to be of a good moisture consistency when you make the sushi itself, the, the needy, when you make it, the, it can't be, it can't be so moist that it just kind of falls apart. It can't be dry. Of course, it
1: can't be dry. Right.
0: So you're putting moisture into an already very moist rice situation. Yeah. And so you want to fan it, you know, and you're, you're mixing it and fanning it and mixing it and fanning it, mixing it and fanning it. you know, if it, if it, what's wrong with your sushi rice at that point?
1: Well, the rice cooker makes it just fine. I've done it twice now and it's delicious. Um, I usually make it, and I'm either undercooking the rice, or
0: it's over mushy, or it doesn't stick, or, you know. How long do you wait between it comes out of the rice maker and making your nigiri? That's a good question. I usually um, don't wait at all. Because you can wait. Oh, you can wait. Yeah, letting rice—I mean, this is just me, but yeah. letting rice mellow a little bit actually is a thing. I don't know if that's what the pros do, but— So an hour— um, if you have it spread out yeah. on a sheet or something or in a bigger bowl, yeah. you just kind of make like a lot of surface area or even just kind of mix it every 15 minutes. Yeah, I could imagine half hour. Half maybe. an hour. Yeah. Okay. Not that long. It doesn't take long for that, for all that steam to kind of it's escape. Kind of... But yeah, if, you, if you're if you doing it right away, it's going to get real moist. It's going to be real kind of sloppy. Sloppy. Yeah. yeah. Well, I did better the last two times
1: with the, with the rice maker yeah yeah but um, so she bought me a rice maker for my birthday and I didn't want a rice maker not because I I think they're cool I mean they work great so um, um, uh, rice maker rice cooker rice cooker
0: Uh, yeah anyways
1: um, it's conspicuous and then you know I have the thing about owning stuff I don't Mm. want to own too much stuff you own a lot of stuff then you have to own a lot of stuff yeah and then you have to own stuff to put the stuff in, and you know it's like it gets complicated.
0: Yeah, right. You don't have to buy car insurance if you don't own a car. Yeah, I don't want to produce anything made or sold. sold. I don't want to sell anything that's produced or, or, or bought. And I want to, I want to produce anything that's bought, sold,
1: or produced. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> bonus points to the fan who can name the film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Um, It made me feel like a little guilty
0: because it's conspicuous.
1: Um, How did we get on this?
0: You and you deciding what you're going to eat. And Colleen got you a rice maker. Yeah. Because you would make what you want to make?
1: I don't... Maybe.
0: Something something in that neighborhood. Anyways, I find it fascinating that you bring this up because, you know, I think we should also adjourned but i want to bring this i want to talk about this again like this topic because i'm guessing a lot of people can relate i know a lot of people can relate to this idea of wait i can do what i want to do i don't have to do what other people want me to do oh yeah because to me the notion of eating food that i don't want to eat is Completely foreign. Like I I absolutely will adjust to other people if 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 the time if the need arises for sure. But every meal I eat in the day, which can be numerous, is completely based on selfish needs. Like I am. What do I want? What do I want to eat? Do you know what you want? Yes. Wow. Yes. I'm very in tune with what I want to shove in my pie hole. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Do you know what you want to eat for your next meal? I want a bagel oh. from Rachel's Bagel and Burritos in Ballard. An everything bagel with lox and cream cheese. It is so chewy and so glorious. They even make a wonderful av- avocado toast bagel thing. Mm. The burritos aren't so great. And burritos are fine, but the bagels are just so good. Are and, you going to get one? Huh? Are you going to go get one? Well... I'm pretty busy today. I have clients and a lot of other things. So, uh, as we've been talking, I've been having this like, okay, how do I get down there? I mean, they do have DoorDash, but it's a different menu with DoorDash. It's like a really limited menu. It's just like the bagels with the spreads. You know, you can't actually get the made made uh, sandwich. If you get one, and is it do
1: you want it still to be warm when you bite into it?
0: No, it can be. It can be. It doesn't. I don't want it to be cold, but it okay. doesn't have to be hot. Oh. Yeah, but anyway. So yeah, I know what I want, and because one, you know, my parents raised me, I guess, well enough for me to be in touch with my needs, and my family also was very into food, and so (laughs) there was a there was a lot of opportunity for all of us to. Now I will say that as a kid, I never was allowed to eat what I wanted to. I'll, I'll tell you that. Like my mom, you know, there were four of us kids. Yeah, we and my parents were. Pretty traditional in their way of raising us, yeah. and my mom was not a good cook when I was growing up, as as most <laughs> parents were not in the seventies and eighties. <laughs> I mean, I remember when pasta became a thing. Uh-huh. Like, I remember when because you just had spaghetti, spaghetti. But then all of a sudden there was this thing in the late eighties, early nineties that was called yeah. pasta. Pasta. What the hell's pasta? Yeah, you had, you had macaroni and cheese from a box, yeah. and you and you had spaghetti from a box. But anyway, the point is, is that uh, I never. Was a uh, there was one day I remember when I was like 10 years old, and my mom had made one of her regular dishes. And you know, I would scarf it down, and it, it was fine, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't what I wanted. And this one time, and it was completely against the rules to complain about anything oh, like in sure. my household, you, you just could not complain. So, yeah. I so I Somehow I was snotty, uh, and which was very. I'm, I'm, this might have literally been the only time I ever, this ever happened, and I said something like, oh, "I don't want to eat this," or something like that. And my parents, in this complete, I don't know, aliens came down and replaced my parents this day. and they said, "Well, what do you want to eat?" And I said, "Peanut butter and jelly sandwich, oh, or something like that, some awesome. some kind of sandwich." I'm big in the sandwiches, as you know by, by awesome. my, and bagels are, you know. Baby sandwiches are basically just advanced sandwiches with the yeah. best kind of bread. They're advanced. And they let me, and I remember that was 40 years ago, and I can even remember. I don't remember what I chose. It was some kind of sandwichy thing. It was probably peanut butter and jelly. And that was the only time I was ever allowed to do that. Wow. You know what I mean? Where I could say, I don't want this. You know, and I find that kids today, you know, kids today, but I find that most parents today, it's like Every kid has their own menu. Oh, yeah. You know, like, yeah. I want this. I, you know, of course, as a parent, you're just trying to make do. You just, sure. just got to get things done sometimes and put right. calories in their body. But that life is completely foreign to me. Right. And I think there are pros and cons. You know, I think there are, yeah. are some pros to allowing kids to, you know, make a choice around what they eat within, a, within reason. They're not sure. eating ice cream for dinner. But I think a con <laughs> is that you're raising a bunch of kids that feel like they have that they're more special than they are. <laughs> 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 there's nothing wrong with making kids feel special, like they're good people. Yeah, But to make them feel like they're entitled mm. to dictate what their parent... You know, because yeah. as a parent, when you're sitting down and you're making food, you, you don't want to make four different meals. You want to make one, one meal that one everyone meal. eats. It's Everybody easier is. that it's way. It's simpler, yeah. It's probably cheaper that way. Right. It takes less time. And I think there's this... Specializing to or sort of defaulting to a three year old's or a seven year old's sort of random weird, um, uh, what do I go tastes? Mm-hmm. And I think another con to it is that you have a lot of kids that are extremely picky about food. I mean, I, I've seen kids today that are just like they don't eat 90% of food they don't eat tomatoes, Oh, right. they don't eat cheese, yeah. they don't eat mushrooms, Right. they don't eat onions, yeah. they don't eat green peppers, yeah. they don't eat, you know, it's just like this list goes on. When I was a kid, that was literally not an option. I mean, was that an option for you when you were growing up? No. Now, I know this is like, I remember when I was young hearing old people talk and just being like, okay, you old people, okay, boomers, be quiet. And I'm quite sure that I'm in that category right now, but... I, I don't know. I guess I have empathy for parents that feel like they have to work harder to please their kids mm-hmm. when there's another option, which is you just put your foot down and you say, no, this is, this, the, this this, is the meal. This, I've this thought about what's nutritious for you, and I've yeah. also thought about what would what you would like. Yeah, It's not exactly what you would like, but life doesn't always give you exactly what you right. want. <laughs> right. I'm not going to shame you for that, but you're going to be a part. You're going to be harmonious. You're going to be a part of the group and- Part of growing is learning to tolerate frustration. Yeah. Yeah. So. And I was very frustrated with my mom's food sometimes, but I ate it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) The meat was always over. Everything was overcooked. Overcooked. The meat and the vegetables. Yep. Completely just obliterated with heat. Yeah. Just the mushiest. (laughs) And my mom is actually a really good cook now. I always say that. But anyway, (laughs) the last thing I'll say to Odette is you, you mentioned you have preoccupied attachment. So it's normal to when you hear people like me and Bob talking about how you'll never be able to return to the womb. Uh-huh. It feels like because of the preoccupied attachment, it feels like you'll never be able to have what you need. What you need, oh, but yeah. that is actually not true. No, if you have a preoccupied attachment and you've been through a lot of traumas, you've probably never had a close, secure relationship in your life, and so and now you. you So there's two things that you want. On one hand, you want the fantasy, which you're not going to get. But on the other hand, you want a secure relationship that you can depend on. You can have that, and that is wonderful, and you deserve that. And you might have literally never had that before. And so the depression, you might be overgeneralizing to, I'll never have secure, close relationships. I'll never be safe. I'll never feel like I can cry in front of someone. I'll never feel relaxed and as though someone is loyal to me. You can have that. Yeah. You just can't return to the womb. No. So. It might be a question of, you know, experience and perspective. Right. Yeah. So I hope, Odette, that you can retain the hope and the expectation that you can have deep, deep, secure, loving, yeah. slightly enmeshed, slightly mirroring, slightly uh, overlapping Relationships, you know, overlapping personalities, relationships. It's just not like the fantasy we have when we're 13 and we're looking at our Justin Bieber poster and we just want to be with him all the time and it's going to be awesome. And you'll never be sad again. Like that won't happen. So sometimes that's a blessing, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is it for
0: that episode of psychology in Seattle. Everyone out there, please take care of yourself because you deserve it.